Welcome to Gay Mystery Podcast, featuring interviews with renowned LGBTQ authors and up-and-coming talent of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. I'm your host, Brad Shreve, and Justine Adamick is here with her weekly recommendation. Well, hello, Justine. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I have a fabulous interview coming up with Robert Innes. But great. as always, I really I'm... like his stuff. He's very popular. He is. Uh, we reviewed his tenth uh, book in the Blake Hart series earlier, uh, one earlier in this show. I think one of our first episodes we did that. Now he's out with a new one. Yep, number eleven has just come out. Looking forward to it. Before we get to that, I want to hear who you're going to talk about today. I'm reviewing or recommending. Boy, I'm never going to get that right, am I, Brad? <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> you'll get it. I uh, Yes, because uh, everything I re- review for this is something I would recommend. And so it's my weekly book recommendation. And I'm recommending Vermilion by Nathan Aldean. It's the first of four Valentine and Lovelace mysteries and Nathan Aldean is the pen name uh, for two writers Malcolm McDowell and Dennis Schuitz. Uh, Malcolm McDowell is the more prominent writer of the two of them he was called one of the greatest paperback novelists by Stephen King he did the screenplay for Beetlejuice and we lost him to AIDS when he was 49. Dennis Schuitz He was also a writer of mystery novels, and he's also written for a few major things. And one of his episodes, one of his solo efforts, was on Tales from the Dark Side. You know, I don't know about you, but when I go to a play and I, you know, all these names I don't know, I'm always like looking at their little bios to see if they're from something on TV, because I watch more TV than anything else. You watch more TV than you read? I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Yeah, well, sorry. Actually, we keep TV on here almost all the time. We use it like other people use radios and music. Uh, we don't listen to music at all. We just keep the TV on in the background. And De- and Dennis uh, died at 42, and I can't find what he died of, but we can all. It would be a pretty good assumption. In 1989, he was 42. And, you know, we lost most of that generation of writers to AIDS. Too many. So this book was first published in 1980. It was republished by Felony and Ma'am, and it is, uh, it's, a, it's a classic amateur sleuth mystery, and it's very, very well done. The main character, Daniel Valentine, I, forget, I blanked out his first name because they call him Valentine. But Daniel Valentine was laid off from the Bureau of Prisons, and he's working full-time as a bartender, and his straight woman friend, Clarissa Lovelace, is a works as a real estate property manager, but she's hardly ever in the office. But the office doesn't complain because she makes some, so much money going and renting places and the like. But she's got a lot of free time on her hands, and he's got a lot of free time on his hands during the day. They dated at some point, and then Valentine realized he was gay, so they became friends. And now it's, I don't know, a dozen years later, and they're still the best of friends. I can tell from experience that usually will end a relationship, a male female relationship. <laughs> yeah, let's okay. We'll skip that whole bag of can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> a street hustler gets murdered um, on New Year's Eve, 
And the cop comes around asking questions. And he goes to the bar Bonaparte's where Valentine works. And Valentine, it's not the kind of bar where hustlers hang out. And he makes that very clear. But the cop is hassling him. He's also hassling the straight bartender who works at the gay bar where there were hustlers. And also the owner of the bathhouse. Apparently, they'd both seen him with uh, a nondescript man the evening before he died. So he had gone to the hustler bar and then he'd gone to the bathhouse. But nobody can really remember what this guy looked like. And the policeman is all suspicious. So Valentine and Lovelace and undertake an investigation themselves because they're worried that the cops are going to try to pin it on a homosexual. The body was dumped on the lawn of a local congressman. And Congressman is the one who keeps blocking the bills. It's probably a state legislator. Uh, keeps blocking the bills that would guarantee homosexuals against discrimination in their jobs and in housing. And he has got this whole fire and brimstone anti-homosexual agenda. And now there's a hustler found on his property. So he is making noises about how the homosexual community is out to get him. And the cop is looking to pin it on one of the three of these guys. So Valentine and Lovelace set out to solve the mystery. And it's got an interesting number of twists and turns. Uh, if I was the kind who wanted to really know who did it at the end instead of just throwing the ride, I might have been able to figure it out. At some point, I thought they made it look very obvious, and then it turned out I was wrong. So, you know, I, as usual, I fall for the, for the uh, writer's tricks of making it look obvious and then switching it up at the end. All in all, it was a great read. I love those. I know who did it. And then, oh, no, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it isn't a cheap shot at the end. It's not like, oh, this other person who you haven't heard anything about and the clues don't fit, did it. But no, all the clues fit neatly into the actual killer. So it's really a fun ride. It's, it's a short, quick read. And I recommend it for a summer's afternoon. And what kind of rating do you give it? I give it a fun recommendation. A fun recommendation. Yes. This is the second fun in a week. In, it in is the second. Well, it's summer. I like to have fun. But yes, it's the, it's the second fun recommendation that we've done. Uh, Nathan Aldean is one of the classic mystery writers in the gay genre. So you won't go wrong by picking up this book. Okay. And do you have anything about Recreared Tales today? Recruit Tales has just released Sunday Best last week, and next week we're going to release Lavender House, which is the second of the Nikki Baker books. Ah, you guys have really been busy this year. One every other week, except when we got slowed down by COVID. Nobody was buying books then, but now we're all back in full force. Well, thank you. You have, and I'll see you next week. See you next week, Brad. Hi, this is Brad. Not only do I interview authors, I write novels too. Check out my Mitchell Riley mystery series on my website, bradshreve.com. You may know my guest, Robert Innes, from his popular Blake Hart mystery series. Welcome to the Gay Mystery Podcast, Robert. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'm going to start out the gate with a question I usually don't ask right up front, but I'm curious. Okay. Why, why mysteries? 
Um, I think it's just because I enjoy them. And I think uh, you've got to write about things that you that you like, that you've got an interest in. Because otherwise, I think it comes across in the books. It, it comes across in your writing if you don't care about what you're writing about. And I enjoy mysteries. I enjoy sort of making my way through a story and finding, you know, finding clues and all of that sort of thing so I can work it out when I get to the end of it. So if I enjoy it, you've got to figure that somebody else might enjoy it. So why not write about it? Yeah, you know, there's websites and even Facebook groups that teach you how to make a supposedly a fortune writing books. And what they're what you're supposed to do is just whatever the trend is this week, you need to write a book about that. And when the trend yeah. is next, I can't imagine doing that. Uh, I can't write what I don't love doing. No, exactly. It's I, I I don't see how people can. I mean, if they you know if people can write something that's absolutely amazing that they have absolutely no interest to in then all credit to them but personally i find it quite difficult yeah it would be hard for me uh were there any particular authors who gave you inspiration to write mysteries um authors not really i because i tend to get a lot of my inspiration from uh tv series and all of that sort of thing um i don't you know and for me the series jonathan creek was quite a big inspiration because of the way that the blake hart mysteries are with the impossible crimes i i love that genre you know, there's so many stories where, you know, you can walk into a room and someone's been shot on the floor. Anybody could have done it. Anybody could have walked in and out of the room at any time. And it's like, that's good. That's nice. You know, you get to know all your suspects, but there's an extra added layer, you know, if that door's locked and nobody really could have gotten in or out. So how has this guy been shot? You know, it, it just adds that extra sort of level of interest to it, which I enjoy. So, yeah, the Jonathan Creeks uh, episodes, if anybody hasn't watched them, I strongly recommend them if you're into that sort of thing. Well, you're known for writing The Impossible Crime. Just uh, You kind of hit on it, but tell us what that means. So An Impossible Crime essentially is, uh, yeah, essentially they go to the locked room mystery, which again, like I described, someone's getting, has been stabbed or shot or strangled or battered to death in a, in a locked room, in a sealed room that nobody could have gotten in or out of without being seen without being detected but somehow there's this dead body in here but it also kind of widens out to anything that kind of looks impossible maybe disappearances you know there's there's different ty- there's different types of impossible crime essentially the the remit is that you shouldn't the, what you are looking at should not have been possible to happen and then you kind of scatter clues throughout the throughout the story as to how this might be possible and then you'll lead character is able to then work it out and deliver a perfectly rational or logical explanation as to how the event happened so it's really two mysteries in one it's essentially yeah it's a who done it as well as a how done it yeah very interesting does this require any research to pull that off oh good god yes you should see my google search history <laughs> if, I, if, if the fbi was, was to look through my google search history i would probably be arrested and thrown in prison for a very long time you know there's all things you, you you know you might have to look at uh poisons that can that can't be detected in an autopsy you know the, the amount of times you've you've you find yourself searching questions like does this kill a person is this possible to kill a person can this be detected um so you've got to do a lot you've got to do a lot of that sort of thing because the thing about impossible crimes is that you've got the the you, you sort of write yourself into a corner with it in a way because you've got to come up with a mystery that looks impossible and looks intriguing and looks as though the reader thinks i need to find out how this was done but then at the same time you've got to come up with a satisfactory a satisfactory explanation at the end that feels satisfying that feels logical and that feels like it was worth the wait to get there because 
if you look at a lot of magic tricks, uh, you know, that any magician on stage might perform, uh, and then if you look at how some of the tricks are done, some of them are that convoluted, but by the end of the explanation as to how they're done, you're, you're kind of like, I don't care anymore. Like, surely nobody went to that much trouble. So you, there's, it's not, you can't just kind of do any trick. So it kind of does require quite a lot of research in some ways to make, to try and come up with an exciting explanation as opposed to a logical one. Well, what's one of the most interesting things you found in your research? Oh, God. I mean, it's always it's always uh, nice to find a certain type of poison that can't be detected in an autopsy. That's always useful because, especially seen as though I'm writing a series where the main character is a policeman, so has forensics at his disposal. You know, if you've got a guy that's somehow been killed in a room, and you then, uh, you know, you've, you find the body on page five, and by about page twenty, the autopsy person turning around to you, oh yeah, he was poisoned. This is the poison. You know, you have you've got quite a short story. So finding those poisons that can't be detected is always quite interesting. There's also, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's, uh, there's a couple of times in my stories where uh, you've got a, ni- a, a nice classical explanation to some mysteries is the sort of killed earlier but survived until the door was locked sort of thing. And there's a couple of things that I've discovered that that works with that you can build an interesting mystery around. So it, it's, it's those sorts of things that kind of make you think, now that's a story. Well, the policeman you referred to is Blake Hart. Yes. And that's the series you're known for. Uh, describe Blake Hart, Hart, Blake Hart. What kind of uh, man is he? I mean, Blake is a, a guy who is... Um, I, like, I, I like to think Blake as a fairly normal type of guy. He's good at his job. He is a detective. So he's got a, a an inquisitive mind. He's got a curious mind. And he enjoys... Uh, looking at details that other people don't necessarily look at. But he's also your everyday man. He enjoys chilling out as much as anybody else. He enjoys he enjoys just hang, he enjoys being with his boyfriend. He enjoys he enjoys life as a whole. And he's got friends and he, he, he likes to get you know, he can go out and get drunk. He can he can do everything that everybody else can, but then he finds himself sort of solving these cases that explain why he is so respected in his field at the same time. Yeah, he's gone from big city policeman, which gives him all sorts of cases to deal with on a daily basis, to moving to this village that should be picturesque and tranquil and quiet, and yet you soon discover that the cases sort of feed into skills that he might have learned when he was a city officer. Well, your most recent novel in the series that just came out is Dowhaus. Yes. And that's the 11th book in the series. How has Blake changed over that time? Uh, well, it's been a year since um, book 10. And, you know, it's a lot's changed in the world since um, since book 10 came out. You know, I don't think it's uh, any spoilers to say that we've got a bit of a pandemic going on at the moment. And I felt that I couldn't... Because I think it's, it's, it's in everybody's brain, this pandemic. Everybody's thinking about it. And I had to write it out of my brain, almost. I was finding that... If Blake, I wanted to know how the characters dealt with the pandemic in Harms Chapel, the village. So Blake and Harrison have been engaged for a year and they can't get married because of this pandemic. So it's frustrating for them, but essentially they're still the same people. They're still the same characters. And the pandemic is sort of there in the background. It's not a huge part of the plot, but it is relevant. And I felt that I wanted to see how Blake would deal with that. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I My stories I write a year behind. That way I can add some uh, actual events that occurred. And I'm not looking forward to when I have to start writing this pandemic because no. it, it does make everything more difficult. It does. It does. But I think also you, tr- you, it's, I, th- I think it's interesting to see what characters you, uh, you enjoy are doing to deal with, to deal with it. Cause I just don't, th- I don't think there's, you know, there's certain genres of stories where you can completely forget about this pandemic, you know, but I think that I, I, I like to sort of have a, a realistic approach to the stories if I can. And I felt that it, this was just too big a world event to ignore. You know, and I appreciate there's going to be some readers who turn to a book that's complete escapism, and that's completely understandable. But I, I felt I needed to at least write about it. Yeah, it's certainly hard to ignore it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your first published novel was Untouchable, mm-hmm. and that was the first in the Blake Howard, Blake Hart. I don't know why I can't get his name right. Blake Hart series. Yes, it's safe to say you were an overnight success. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> bless you. Um, it it went well, yeah. It it did go well, and I was able to um, and I was able to write more afterwards, which was which was an absolute thrill for me because I didn't ex- you know I didn't expect I didn't expect the Blake stories to be as well received as they have been. It's been it's been a really humbling experience because I was able to uh, become self employed and live purely on live purely on Blake. So I'm forever grateful for him for that and do what I love doing as, as an actual living, which is amazing. But yeah, it's people seem to have reacted really well to it. And I think it is the combination of the impossible crime, as well as putting an LGBT character at the central of it, which is something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to, um, I wanted to write a book about gay characters that didn't necessarily have to focus on their sexuality to be the driving force of the story. I wanted to just sort of be, and they happen to be gay. So how was that transition from the working outside working world to being a full-time writer? I was delightful um, because I think uh, I was, you know, I was doing a job that paid the bills. It, it, it helped me sort of live a, a normal life, but then to be able to <clears throat> do a job where I was doing what I loved writing and then to be able to actually see people enjoying it, see people uh, reacting to it was an absolute thrill. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it, yeah, Blake has absolutely changed my life. It's I'm still at the very sort of early stages of one of being a full time writer. I want to branch out into screenwriting, all of that sort of thing. But while I've got Blake, I can I can really do what I love doing, which is amazing. We actually have quite a few writers on the show that either were screenwriters or or looking to be screenwriters. So you're not alone. Yeah, in well, that. yeah, it's it's a it's a big old dream of mine. So maybe one day, hopefully, I'll be able to take Blake further. Now, with each of your novels, starting with Untouchable, they've all been bestsellers on the LGBT mystery list. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's been amazing. Well, to put you on the spot. Oh, God. Why do you think Hart and you captured the hearts of so many? <laughs> um, I think it's it the mysteries. I think the, the mysteries are the thing that kind of keep people coming back. And I think that people enjoy the, from what I can see from what people have said to me is, is all I can tell you to that really. And I know that people enjoy the characters. They enjoy the interactions between the characters. They enjoy Blake and Harrison's relationship. 
and they and they like the mysteries. They like the sort of mysteries where you have no idea how it's going to happen, how how the mystery happened until you start working it out through the story. And you hopefully, if I've done it right, you start working it along with Blake. And people enjoy that. People enjoy seem people seem to enjoy working out the puzzles as well as enjoying the relationships between the characters, which which is a thrill for me, and I'm really happy about it. Yeah, I've said it many times on this show that uh, mystery writers or mystery readers are an interesting bunch because uh, they absolutely want to solve the puzzle, yeah. but then they're, then they're mad if they do. Oh yeah, it's a real it's it's it can it's it's hard in that respect because if I read, oh, you've got to base it on your own experiences, and I if I am watching or reading a mystery. I want to feel like I could have solved it at the end. Mm-hmm. But I, want, I want to have that moment of, oh, I see at the end rather than, well, I knew that. And it's, it's a really fine line between the two, which, which, <laughs> which can make it quite difficult to write sometimes. So if I get it right, a reader will say, oh, I see at the end of it and feel satisfied. If I get it wrong, people will either say, well, I knew that or, well, how was I supposed to work that out? So it's, it's a difficult sort of balance between the two, unfortunately. Well, and it's tough when the person may have figured out who who done it, or at least they think they figured out who done it. Yeah. And and then, but they really don't know why. And at the end, they didn't know why, but they still feel like they were cheated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you work out who done it by page twenty, you've kind of got a long journey to work out the why, which is you know, which can either be enjoyable or not. But it depends whether I've done it right or not, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to write a pretty damn good story if you're going to keep them after twenty pages. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, people will, there's always going to be somebody that works it out before other people do. I think it's pretty impossible to write a crime story that's read by a lot of people that not one person works it out until you want them to work it out. Right. Well, it is now time for awkward questions authors get. Oh, dear. Right. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) And what this is, is questions that we get that are... um, Sometimes they're just difficult to answer. Sometimes they're awkward. Sometimes they're rude or blunt. Uh, but they're questions that come to us from time to time. Cool. So if you hold stale, I'm going to spin the wheel. Yep. Okay. That's a big wheel you've got. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so, Robert, what do you plan to do when you're done with this whole writer nonsense? <laughs> Um, so I'm, what, I'm not writing anymore at all. Is that, is that, is that what I've got to, is what I can think now? Uh, what do I plan to do when I finish writing? Uh, I don't know. Kind of hopefully enjoy the success of writing if that, if it's gone that way. If not, then I guess I keep writing until that happens or try and find something else to do that gives me the same sort of satisfaction. And off the top of my head, I wouldn't know what that would be. <laughs> yeah. That'd be hard to picture what I'd love more to do than writing. Yeah. So we talked about Blake Hart. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about Robert Ennis. What other than writing are you passionate about? Um. Oh, I I I enjoy spending time with people. I enjoy. So I feel like I'm filling out a dating profile now. I enjoy spending time with people, and I I like socializing. I like just. I, I'm I'm a big fan of TV. I because that's what I want to get into as well. I feel like my life is quite career orientated in my interests and it helps that I'm working in what I love because I think you'll find that once you get into that situation, it kind of becomes an all encompassing thing. So, you know, if I'm enjoying, if I'm watching a TV series, I'm watching it to enjoy it and I'm watching it to sort of get a critical and career type thrill from it as well. So it kind of, 
it kind of encompasses it all. You know, I'm the same as anybody. I enjoy going out and socialising and going and getting drunk and making mistakes and on creating problems for myself and all of that sort of thing. It's, 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 yeah, I live a fairly normal life, I think. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that you talk, you want to get into television and that you watch television and you call that part of your career and that you're a hundred percent correct. Uh, I had left Lev Raphael on not too long ago. I told him I feel guilty when I'm reading because I should be writing. And his response was, reading is writing yeah that's the only response to have to that it makes you feel better about yourself if i'm sat there slobbing out in front of the tv and i feel guilty about not writing all i need to do is think oh well no it's fine this is research and i feel much better (laughs) (laughs) yeah it does make you feel less guilty about that so you're an indie author yes uh what's your experience been bruises highlights what lessons have you learned um the uh, i mean it's it's fast it happens fast and the biggest lesson i think i've learned from it is that you just have to keep uh keep the work going because the thing about being an indie author is that the type of stories that i'm releasing these short short novellas um mm-hmm. whilst they not they don't feel like short novellas when you're writing them um you know every single 30,000 words i write you know i feel like i've just written war and peace and the biggest lesson I've learned is that once people have read that and said, oh, that was very good, well done, very good, or that was rubbish, write it again, you're then, you're then on to the next one. There's no sort of resting on your laurels and sort of waiting for the praise to, to be enough to kind of get your career going again. You've got to sort of keep them going. So that was, a, that was the biggest lesson that I've learned and one that I still sort of am learning, in all fairness. Um, but you know, highlights are when you know you read a really lovely, really lovely review, and sometimes you know a, a negative review that's helpful to you. You know, I think if you're going to read your reviews, you've got to take both of them on board. Obviously, you know, being a sensitive, egotistical writer, I find myself sort of <laughs> remembering the negative reviews far more than I do the positive reviews because that's just that's just the way of the art. But it's it's I just love the, I I do love the fact that I can say that this is my job it's a great feeling and the fact that i have been able to do that is a a highlight in itself yeah i'm gonna have to learn to write much faster i'm a slow writer oh you and me both you and me both i know a great writer um who is uh behind the uh agatha frost if you if you know her she's very big in the cozy uh writing genre and the the speed the speed of which this person produces their books is insane I don't know how they do it. I'm jealous of how they do it. And each book has a consistent quality to it as well. It's, it's awe-inspiring, it really is. So I wish I was like that and was able to churn out book after book after book after book after book and it all be perfect and loved and adored and have a great quality to it and look professional and sound professional. And uh, So I think there's always a, a point where you sort of need to go, you need to try and reach and then you end up looking for another point that you need to try and reach. But it's, it's a fun genre to be in well you you mentioned that your novels are more novellas and i I don't know about that i think they're a little longer than a novella but they do tend to be shorter novels is there a reason for that is that just the way you like to write or um i think that it was well i think what happened was i started out doing that and then you sort of think well i know this and this is working so i guess i'll stick with this format uh, which lasted until book 10 of this series which was the first novel length story that i wrote and the one I'm probably one of the one of the ones in the series that I'm the mo- I, I'm most proudest of because it was a 
it was a full length novel, you know, 70,000 plus words. And when I received my copy of it uh, in actual book form, that was a great feeling because it, it was thick and chunky and was only a bit smaller than the first Harry Potter book, which felt amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt that was the day I think, you know, I think now and again, I'll get a new feeling of, oh my God, I'm a writer. And, you know, the first time that I was getting sales on Untouchable, that was that feeling. And then writing uh, up to this book and making this big, making this bigger story, that was another type of feeling like that. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed writing the novel size one, but it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do, and you need to have a story that fits within that perimeter. You need to have a bigger story to to sort of warrant the novel, because I think that as, as well, you know, if you're writing a story that's thirty thousand words, it's it it might not sound a lot when you're flicking through it, but it is a lot. You can fit a hell of a lot into thirty thousand words, so it, it's a length that works for me unless I feel that I need to do a bigger story, in which case I will. I'm not limited to that sort of length, but I find that that sort of works the best in this particular format. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, about reading your, your reviews. What's the most rewarding thing you've heard from a reader? The first, the best review I've ever received was, I think it was a review on the first book that was talking about how the reader felt that I was writing a gay character in a way that they wanted to read as a gay person in terms of, you know, Blake isn't some sort of muscle porn star. Uh, he's not a, you know, he's not, you know, stopping the action every 10 pages to have a wild shag on the table. You know, he's, he's just a normal person that happens to be gay. That's doing his job. That was a really satisfying review to me because that's exactly what I was aiming for. And then the review ended with the words, thank you for writing this book. I mean, what a feeling. What a feeling to to have somebody who has enjoyed your book that much and has got from it what you wanted them to get from it. You know, it 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 gives you a sense, it gave me a, a feeling of, yeah, I did that right, which was amazing. And I don't do everything right in writing. You know, we're learning every day, even the most, even, you know, the likes of Stephen King and James Patterson, they're learning every single day. I don't think you ever stop learning about writing, which is one of the things that makes it enjoyable, you know. And I, and yes, it can be an absolute nightmare, but it's when you get reviews like that, it makes it all worth it. I agree. What can we expect from you in the not so different, not so distant future? Oh God! Well, I'm I, at the minute now. I've released um, the I've released Dollhouse. I'm sort of trying to think of my next plot. Uh, I am also trying to script up uh, book one in, into a pilot script so that I can send it off to a couple of people and see if I can actually start making some first steps into the TV industry because, hey, you've got to try, right? And at the same time, I'm sort of doing a, a, another job at the moment where I'm doing night shifts um, to get through this virus and you know try and let's see if we can't all get the world back on its feet. So it's a combination of just trying to keep all the money coming in and keeping life turning and... And yeah, but at the minute, I'm just thinking of my next plot and I haven't really got anything solid in my brain at the moment, but it, I'm sure it will come at some point. Well, you have two novels in your Gold and Silver series. Yeah, they they didn't do as well as I'd like because I was trying to throw them into a bigger genre, in all honesty. I mean, LGBT mystery is a very specific genre that's quite easy to sort of get attention in, whereas Cozy, which is what I was trying to get into with the golden uh, the gold and silver mysteries were you know it's a it's a bigger it's a smaller fish in a much bigger pond 
Uh, it didn't really get noticed, which was a shame because I did enjoy writing the characters. I did enjoy the stories. I liked them. Um, but, you know, maybe one day I might return to them and try and get them built up again because I did enjoy them. I, it wasn't, it didn't feel like I was just writing them to try and get another book out. I was in, I, I liked the characters and people, the people that did read it seemed to enjoy it. So yeah, maybe one day I can go back to them. Well, back to what you were saying earlier about you were writing a mystery where the character just happens to be gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's important to me on the show that I tell people is sex is okay. Romance is okay, but the crime has to be prime. Of course. Anybody that listens to them, nothing makes me more furious than when you have an erotic novel where there's a mystery thrown in there in a few pages and they, and they post it as a uh, mystery novel. Yeah, I know exactly uh, what you mean. So it is refreshing to, to hear that you say that, that that's your goal. Well, it was interesting because one of the things that I very quickly discovered about writing in the LGBT genre especially in the first couple of books where people were sort of discovering the series. You know, I would get a lot of reviews uh, saying, there's not a lot of sex in it, as in, like, you know, that's a negative thing, which I found fascinating because it's kind of like, right, so because this book is about gay people, it has to have wall-to-wall cock in it. Is that what we're, is that what we're, is that what we're saying here? Um, and that kind of... It works for some people. The genre works for some people. There are some amazingly successful... Uh, gay erotica authors out there it's not what I'm interested in and the whole point of me writing the stories for me was to just make a story about a guy that happens to be gay well, who goes around solving mysteries and it really fascinated me and sort of disturbed me a little bit that people were just expecting sex by page five and you know the relationship between Blake and Harrison had to stop so that their gayness could be addressed and it just it it's weird to me. I, you know, I think people expect certain, th- some people expect certain things from gay characters in books. And I'd love to sort of distract from that expectation. I don't want a character that feels like he has to pull his cock out every five minutes. No, I don't see the point in it. And I don't see, you know, and my books, certainly at the moment, you know, aren't going to be focused on, you know, the front cover just being a topless guy staring smolderly at the camera. You know, like I say, there's a there's a market for that, and Definitely. no crit no criticism at all to people that read that who write that. You know, that works for them and for their readers, but it's not my personal taste. I agree. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is disappointing that people assume that because it's a gay novel that there there should be some sex in there, or and especially yeah. a lot of sex. I uh, received a review from another writer and uh, they put that they did not finish. And because I was another writer, I was very curious. So I I looked at their profile and they are a romance writer. And I looked through their books that they reviewed and they were all romance novels. So I'm like, of course they didn't enjoy my novel. Uh, I I was the wrong book for them. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very strange that people see, gay people in the stories and expect that to be something that they can you know to some people it's some they want to read this book and they want to they want to get off to it which it to me is a complete and utter mystery it's sort of it's kind of like why would you just want that from the characters it doesn't make any sense to me but you know i think that yeah if you if you see people that are reading romance novels and yes you might expect that in the book and that's what you get and if you don't get that you're going to be disappointed but i've never marketed the blake stories as 
gay romance. Yes, they have gay characters in them, but that's not the same thing in my eye. No, totally a different thing. There's, there's nothing wrong with getting into the uh, sleuth life. In fact, most people want it, want that. And yeah. if that includes you know a lover or a husband or whatever, fabulous. I'm not averse to writing a sex scene, but if it's relevant to the plot, you know, it's exactly the same as you know because these are murder mysteries. It's exactly the same as going into them expecting massively gratuitous violence. I'm not about to do that either because it doesn't feel relevant at the moment. You know, yes. There, are, there is blood in the Blake stories. And yes, there are horrible deaths that, you know, if you really sat and think about, thought about them, you'd think, my God, that character went horribly. You know, but it's, it's, it's about the way that you write them. It's about the way you perceive them. It's about the level of importance you put on that particular detail of the writing. Um, and if you come for that, then, you know, you're either going to be disappointed or pleased by what you get. But I think that you need to go into particularly gay mysteries with sort of, expectations of a story rather than a certain type of story and then sort of get to the end of a story and and decide from there whether it was for you or not yeah my most recent novel i wrote a couple of sex scenes in and i was actually very proud of them i thought they were pretty good and pretty erotic yeah before i finished with it when i was editing i thought you know it really doesn't serve the plot at all it's you know just in the middle of the book all of a sudden we have two guys you know fucking yeah so i pulled them out and I had more of the fade to black. They one of a better phrase. <laughs> yeah, you know, they go off and everybody knows what they did behind the door. And there was no I saw no reason to go into graphic detail. No. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's some something people really enjoy reading. It just didn't feel right for me in my book. Well, funnily enough, you know, Untouchable was original because I, you know, I was all I was doing when I first started was thinking, right, I need to write a book that people are gonna read. So Untouchable originally was going to be a little bit more erotic. You know, it was going to take, you know, the mystery probably would have taken a little bit of a backseat. And then I just realized it isn't what I want to write. So I didn't write it. And the result is that I'm still writing these books, what, nearly four years later. So it was clearly a good decision for me and for the people that enjoy my books. So I can't say fairer than that, really. Now, what you've written, uh, 16 books in four years? Blah, blah, blah. This is the 11th in this series. Uh, 13, 14, I think. 14 books. No wonder you're able to make a living at it. That's excellent. Do you know, I mean, the thing, the proudest thing about the, with it being the locked room mystery, I once read an article that said that people who want to get into the impossible crime genre, they, uh, they manage about, they can sometimes manage about three books and then they just completely run out of ideas. And I was, I've been able now to write my 11th impossible crime story which is a is is a feeling of absolute pride for me i'm really proud of that because they're not easy to write i'm not trying to you know build up my own ego or make myself sound amazing here they genuinely are very difficult to write sometimes um so to be able to say that i've written a lesson of them it's a great feeling well yeah i mean it's hard enough to write a crime that's just a regular whodunit you know somebody's throat slashed you gotta figure out who slashed them in the throat but to have add that extra how in the world did this crime happen? My hat's off to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a satisfying feeling, you know, and it does sometimes kind of feed into that well-known phrase from writers saying, I hate writing, but I enjoy having written. And trust me, I greatly enjoy having written these books. <laughs> there are many times where I am banging my head against the keyboard saying, I hate writing. I hate writing. Why am I a writer? But yeah, you get to the end of a story and it's, it's, it's a satisfying feeling. It really is, especially when people enjoy it. 
Yeah, as much as you can hate writing in the end, you really have to love to be a writer. Otherwise, because it's hard work. Oh, God, yeah. And I mean, there are many writers who will turn around to you and say, you know, if you ask them why are they a writer, you know, you sort of think about the answer. It's like, well, I may, I just, just, I must just be some sort of sadist to myself. I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment. You know, there are times when being a writer is the worst thing in the world because you're sat there in front of a blank keyboard feeling the expectations of your readers and thinking, how the hell am I ever going to satisfy what these people, what, you know, what my readers want, what I want out of it. And it feels impossible every single time that you start. But then you've just got to sort of tell yourself, well, I've done it before. Hopefully I can do it again. Yeah, you know, I bring up what we talked earlier about writing to market to to earn money. It, if somebody yeah. just wants to make money, there's a lot easier ways to do it than, oh God, than yeah. writing. So it, it has to be a passion. Yeah, absolutely. You can't. I don't think you can do it unless you enjoy it. No matter what you're writing, even if you are writing something, like I said at the start, you know, some people are more than capable of churning out amazing books that they have no interest in the genre in whatsoever. Uh, and all credit to them. I wish I, I wish I could do that. They, in some ways, probably are a better writer than I am. That they can create something that is amazing, and that they couldn't care less about themselves. You know, yeah. It, to try and get money out of it, as well as creating satisfaction from it, is a is a tricky dichotomy. I think. Well, Robert, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Again, let everybody know that Dow House is your house out on yes out on Amazon now. Um, so yeah, please, please read it. Please leave a review. Reviews keep, as uh, yes, something to say to all to all readers. Please leave reviews. They keep writers going. They keep they keep our business going. They keep interest in the books going. So please leave a review, and books can keep on coming. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you again. Thanks very much. Hit the subscribe button wherever you hear our show so you don't miss a single episode. Tell a friend too. Thank you for listening.